Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Gold podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Victoria Labombe. Isn't that a great last name? I mean, I'm fine with Acuff. It's, it's suited me well these first 45 years of my life, but Labom, that sounds fantastic. So who is Victoria Labom? I'm so glad you asked. Victoria Labom is the founder of Risk Forward and Rock the Room, two amazing programs designed to help people express their hidden genius. Her strategies have been embraced by over 700 organizations, entrepreneurs, senior executives, and hundreds of thousands of individuals around the world. As a performing artist and member of the Speaker Hall of Fame, That is fantastic. I wonder if you get like a coat or something. Speaker Hall of Fame, nice. Victoria shares her messages through keynote performances, workshops, private consulting, and online learning. She is a presentation, keynote, creativity expert. And this episode and this interview are going to be super, super fun. But first, today's episode is brought to you by me. That's right. Today's sponsor is me. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have. And if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking. All right, let's jump into the interview. Victoria, thank you so much for joining me. I know you've been doing a ton of these podcasts with the new book out, and I really appreciate you spending a few minutes with me and the listeners of All It Takes is a Goal. Well, I am so happy to be here. You're one of my favorite people, John. So I'm thrilled to participate. Well, it's always fun when I get to have a friend um, on the podcast and you and I got to know each other. It feels like 10 years ago because pandemic time is different, but it was (laughs) December 2019 and we were both at an event that our friend Josh Linkner puts on. Um, and what's really interesting is it was my first time getting to watch you do, I would say, a micro performance because it was a small room, small amount of time, but it was really, really powerful. So I, I'd love to hear about where a lot of your art starts from that performance, that being authentic on stage, but authentic off stage. 
Where did you first fall in love with that particular power? The power of authenticity? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. You know, I'll say something I've never said in a way, which is years ago, I was very little. I'd gone to see a Broadway show with my parents. Um, Actually, no, it was a Broadway show, but it was in London. So it was that kind of level. And there was an actor named Derek Jacobi, who's an incredible actor. And he was playing the part in a play called Breaking the Code. And he had to play a teenager. And he was so real as a teenager. And I will never forget it. And I saw him and I said, I want to do that. You know, I want to be able to embody whatever it is I'm embodying and be organic and not like act at it, but be in it. Oh, that's a big difference. That is not act at it, but be in it. I love that. Okay. I I think that's an interesting kind of flashpoint for you where you say, I see that thing. I want to do more of that thing. Have there been other moments like that where you bump into something and you go, wait a second, that's different. I want to do that. I want to try that. I want to be in that. Completely. Um, There's another story. It's actually in the book I wrote, uh, Risk Forward, where there was a man named Remy Charlip who was teaching at an organization. I'd gotten the catalog. I was looking through it. And I came across this photograph. It was a tiny black and white photograph. And in it, he was holding his hands up as if he was grabbing the air and his mouth was open. And I said, whatever he's doing, I want to do that. Because I could tell it wasn't acting and I knew it wasn't dance. It was somewhere between theater and movement and whatever it was, was different. And I, that's kind of what I do now. You know, it's an expression of performing arts. Would you say that you had, you know, parents or an environment that pushed you forward that they encouraged that? And the reason I ask is I I was on a podcast the other day and the woman said, yeah, I remember growing up, people told me I was too much. I was too much. I was too much. And I had to learn as an adult. No, that's exactly who I am. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be full me, full strength. You know, that's who I am. Did you have an environment that said, okay, wow, Victoria, we see that. That's awesome. Like you just caught this wave. We want to encourage that. Were there challenges along the way? Was it a mix of both? I'd say it was a mix of both. And my mother was like this white lily. She would sort of this sort of very graceful, elegant, you know, let things unfold type of personality. However, she was a professor. There was not a hair out of place at times. And when I was too animated and too excited, you know, that was a little much for her academic style. So uh, I was often told, simmer down, calm down, you know, not so fast, because I would talk with great speed. Uh, My father, by contrast, was just sort of the sputtering, you know, (laughs) anything's possible kind of guy. Like you could sort of see him walking down the hall with his hand on his back, anything's possible. And he just celebrated all of me. So I had both. You know, and I think from my mother, I learned articulation skills. I learned poise. I learned grace from my father. I learned zest and charisma and, you know, fun and, you know, joy. And the two came together. I love that mix. So the book Risk Forward, it's a fantastic book. The subtitle is Embrace the Unknown and Unlock Your Hidden Genius. You could have done a one-person performance. You could have done a webinar. You could have done a million kind of executions of this creative idea. Why did you say, okay, this message, this thing I'm going to do is designed to be a book? Ah, Well, it went through lots of changes. I think like most books, like most creative projects, you start with one idea and it sort of evolves. 
uh, when I was struggling with which book to write, which a lot of people do, when you've got a lot of intellectual property, you know, I've been speaking for 20 years. I've been teaching for 20 years. There was a lot. And I didn't know which book to write at first. And there were so many options. And there's Rock the Room. There's a through line. There's Risk Forward. But I knew I wanted to do something that was visual. For a long time, I've been drawing this little pen and ink figure. And I wanted to incorporate that. I used to put it in my business handouts and worksheets. So that was floating in my mind. I wanted to do something that had photographs. So originally the book had photographs. It had text in different directions because I'd always wanted to explore a creative book that was also a business book because sometimes they're separated. And I said, how can I make a hybrid of the two? And so over time, it really changed. It became a book without photographs and just the little pen and ink drawings. It's high color, high design, graphs, images, charts, fun things. Know, surprise expectations on different pages. So I just knew I wanted the book to be kind of what I teach when I teach keynote speaking and, and, and rocking it, which is an experience. Like how can I make each page different? How can I take the reader or in this case, like the audience, if it's a keynote on a journey? And it, it comes through. I mean, the visual, that's one of the first things when we initially talked about the book, you said, you know, just wait till you see the visual. And I think it's amazing. I think it's, colorful and subtle at times and expressive at others and really amplifies the idea. I've had illustrations in books before. I would say there's there's kind of three approaches. There's no illustrations, there's some illustrations, and then there's an illustrative experience. And I would put this in the experience category. That's not easy to do as an author. So what was that process like? And, and one, like letting go of your initial vision of the photography, that's not easy either. I think there's a whole creative exercise you could do on l- allowing the idea to be the idea and letting go of things that used to be the idea. But what was the process like of marrying the words with the visual? Yeah, it's such a great question. Well, I think visually, you know, so for some pages, like they came together, like many of us, you know, I had little handouts, I had blogs, I had presentations, I had materials, I had, used to have these mini books that I made. So the first step was really gathering it. And I often tell people I built the book, I assembled the book, because it wasn't like I sat down in a blank screen. I was like pulling from little things. I had my floor of my studio was just covered with half handouts and little pages from books. So I was assembling it. That was the first step is just getting it all out, then weeding out what did not belong. Then I put it together into a very rough, rough draft. And I had about 18 readers who were very carefully selected. You know, I had my niece who's 19. I had a corporate CMO. I had an artist entrepreneur. I had a hard driving entrepreneur. I had all types of people because I was interested to see which parts resonated with everyone. Like, how could I do the cross-section of all these individuals? A student graduating from college, a senior in their retirement year, someone going through a divorce, someone who's facing a big business decision. What's going to connect to all these people? And and I found the way through. So that was the first phase, is assembling it and then getting feedback. What was the process in eliminating things? I mean, because I love the gather. I, I, I think that's brilliant. I always tell people, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy and that I never sit down with just a blank piece of paper. I always bring friends And it sounds like you gathered a lot of friends, a lot of ideas. How long did that process take? How do you know, who do you kick off the island um, when you realize, okay, I've got more than I need? Yeah. Well, two things I want to say. One, just going back to gather the friends. You mean friends in terms of ideas, not friends. Ideas, yes. Okay, good. Uh, How do I kick people off the island? It's so great you're talking about this, John, because the hardest part 
bar none of writing this book was pulling stuff out. It was so painful. My ego was screaming like, well, I have to put that in. People love that or I'm known for that. So if I don't put it in, someone else put it in their book, you know, which has happened, you know, and I was just freaked about not including things, which is like an identity issue for all of us. It's like, cause we, and you, when you put a book together, it becomes a piece of your identity. So it's like, which identity am I putting forth into the world? Right. Which part of me and the book can't be all of you. It's only a piece of you. So that was hard. And ultimately it became, you know, what is the core message? And my ego wanted to wedge in other messages. And once I was honest and stuck with that, I said, really, does this relate to the main theme of heading into the unknown and expressing yourself, even if you don't know exactly where it's going? The, the opening line of the book, which is kind of the guiding line of the book, is some people in life know exactly what they want to achieve. This is a book for the rest of us. And there's such freedom in that line, because I think the myth is, I'm the only one who doesn't know. Everyone else got the adult manual. Like they have the, like how to be an adult and there's a plan. <laughs> um, I've got a, a daughter who's turning a scene. She's going to be a senior in high school next year. And there's this pressure of like, you have to pick a perfect major so that you can know what you're going to do in 11 years from now. And you're like, whoa, where I think any honest 45 year old, I'm 45, wouldn't tell an 18 year old. I knew exactly what I'd be doing when I was 18. I, I didn't know at all. So have you seen readers already go, wow, this is giving me freedom to risk things, to try things, to develop things without knowing the final destination before I even start? A thousand percent. Uh, That is the perfect word. I mean, the word I've heard more than any is freedom, permission, liberation. Like people say, I feel like I got a straight jacket taken off of me or if someone just got a seatbelt that I've been wearing for 25 years removed. People didn't even realize they had it because the pressure in our society is so insidious. You know, it gets into us in a way it's that, you know, what's your goal? What's your plan? And we, we adopt it, internalize it without even recognizing it. People go, oh my God. And so the beauty too that I'm so proud about is it's not only giving people permission to sort of risk forward and try something new or go for something, as I say in the book, you don't need a goal to justify a pursuit, but it's also giving people permission to like not do something. So for example, I had a CMO, chief marketing officer of a really big company, multinational company. He's done three of these big companies. He texted me last week and he said, hey, Victoria, I just said to thank you. I just quit this position I'd taken on. I've been there eight weeks and it's not what I want to do. You know, it was the risk to say no, the risk to not do something. To put that aside. Yeah. I love the idea of, okay, which ideas do I leave out? And I've seen you structure keynotes. I've seen the work you do. It's so smart. It's so creative. It's so thoughtful with Rock the Room. Do you feel like public speakers or keynote presenters or performers, there's that temptation to overfill speeches in the same way that you had to avoid the temptation to overfill the book and allow the ideas to breathe? Because they breathe visually, they breathe in the text. Is that the same thing that happens for keynote? Your questions are so good, John. My gosh. (laughs) Yes, 100%. It's something that I teach uh, in terms of the content, but also the terms of delivery. You know, there's this misconception for speakers that you have to pause, just to pause. And then you get this weird, stilted type of speaking pattern like, so I'd like to challenge you as an audience to, and it's this like weird, you know, inauthentic style. 
what I say to my clients when I'm teaching speaking is you pause to let the ball land. That's the analogy I've used for decades. It's like a ball toss and you throw the ball out to the audience. And if it's a complicated thought, it's a question, it's a comment that needs digesting, you give it time to breathe. And the same thing is how I designed the book. There are pages where I want people to process it. So they put a lot of white space and as well on a macro scale, what you're saying in terms of the whole speech, it's like more is not better. And we've seen that you and I with conferences, like in the days of live events, and even now with Zoom events, you know, I'd go to these conferences and the, the meeting plan would say, okay, we're going to start at seven with breakfast, eight o'clock, the CEO goes on, they'll speak for half an hour, then we'll have awards, then you'll go on for an hour keynote. And I go, wait, is, is there a break in there? Because I don't want people walking out of the room when I'm on stage. I'd rather do a 40 minute speech and have people have a 20 minute break beforehand so that they come in awake and alert and refreshed and not thinking about having to go to the restroom or make a phone call or check their text. So yes, space, rhythm, experience, and uh, the ride, if you will, the whole ride. I think to leave something out takes extreme bravery because you're going to sit in some of the tension. Um, And the book talks a lot about, okay, what does it look like to do something, you know, to risk, to be brave when, you know, say somebody's listening to this right now and they say, okay, I don't know what I want to do, um, but I feel a little stuck. It could be, I feel stuck in my career. I feel stuck in my creative endeavors. I feel stuck in my, you know, my relationships, whatever. I feel stuck. How does this book help people get unstuck? Great question. Well, the first thing is it tells you you're okay to be stuck because right away we're taught, oh, you know, we're stuck and then we panic. So the first phase of the book is I say, embrace the fog. I call it the fog. It's like when you're not sure, and it could be, Literally in the span of minutes, like you don't know what to do the blog post on, or you're trying to figure out if you should speak up, or you're facing a blank page, or you don't have that. We talked about that. But, you know, that feeling of like you're in that moment of not knowing for a few minutes, it could be for a few weeks. But the first phase is like, it's okay. Because once we say it's okay, we relax and we're like, all right, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with not knowing. I'm in what I call the fertile fog. It's like, it's filled with opportunity. So that's the first step. The fertile fog. It's so good. So there's so many things like that that I think are counterintuitive. But when you read them, you go, oh, that's right. That I was going in going, I'm stuck. So something's wrong yeah. versus saying, oh, this is this is fertile fog. I, I love that idea. I, I think most of my podcast episodes, because I, I, I don't interview a lot of people, but when I do, it's people that I really enjoy. And I just end up saying, I love that a bunch <laughs> because the stuff they share are so great. You teach four questions to help kind of clarify your next move forward. I would love you to pick one of the four because I think all four are really helpful. Pick any of the four. It doesn't have to be your favorite of the four because I think they're all equally amazing. But like, what's one of the four that you'd go, okay, if you wanted to clarify a situation, here's one of the questions you can ask. Well, I'll give you one I don't often talk about on podcasts. So that'll be more fun for your audience. So that's this. It's uh, what don't you want? Sometimes when we're in a fog, we're not sure about what we do want, but we're often pretty clear on what we don't want. And I'm just going to read part of that page because I think it'll really help. Please. So it's what don't you want. Uh, When a clear picture of where we're heading has not yet come into view, we're usually able to articulate a few elements regarding what we don't want. You know, the clarity that ensues from prior unpleasant experiences can propel us forward. So like, what don't you want? What? won't you put up with and what situations are no longer acceptable to you 
And just to break that down, like I have an entrepreneur client. She was making a lot of money. She was doing a lot of launches. She was exhausted. And she came to me and she said, I need help risking forward. And her, what I don't want is I don't want to keep launching. I don't want to grow a bigger business. Or it might be you don't want a big team or you don't want to do this type of client. And I think getting really clear on that frees you. Because then you're not aiming at something that you wouldn't want to achieve, even if you did achieve it. That's exactly it. And it also gives us power when we finally go, yeah, I don't want that, even if everyone thinks I should want that. How does that happen? I'm curious. So, and, you know, peer pressure is an easy answer, but how does that happen where somebody goes, okay, you know, say I'm an entrepreneur, I'm listening to this and I'm an entrepreneur and everything I read says I got to scale, got to scale, got to scale, got to have as many employees as I can, got to do all the things, got to be on 50 million social media platforms. There's so many things I got to do it all, got to do it all. And going, you know what? I don't like these four things don't work for me. So I'm not going to do these things. I'm going to keep it this size. I'm always fascinated how somebody keeps something the size that's the size they want versus getting kind of into this more loop. How do you help people that are that are working in that space? Yeah, well, this is a conversation that's close to both of our hearts because it's one of the things that you and I bonded over as we left this event and went to the airport. Like we had a good conversation about this. Um, I think we share a similar philosophy. I think it really just comes down to what sort of is good for your disposition and temperament. Like some people love having a lot of spinning plates. They thrive on that. That to me makes me feel queasy. Like I like creative spinning plates, but I don't like a lot of like production spinning plates and like too many things to look at. I don't enjoy it. And then I think, what's the point of that? And when the times that I've had that, it's unfun. So I look at that for my clients and this is sort of everyone's ecosystem and disposition is different. Everyone's temperament is different. So it's sort of like, what is the right mix for you? And you remember this from the book, John, early on, there's something I call the inner current. Mm -hmm. And I give a series of words for how you know you're on it. And you know you're on it when you're feeling intrigued or excited or engaged. And when you're feeling freaked out and frazzled, and that's the wrong path. And so that's the first place I begin. Like, what are those emotions? Look at that inner courage page and what's going on for you there? I feel like I know I'm on it when I, it feels like running downhill. There are projects for me that feel like running downhill. They're challenging, certainly, but they feel like there's momentum. It feels like gravity is pushing me. It feels like I'm doing something that I was created to do versus I can usually tell when I'm trying to force something that is so far out of, of what I feel called to do that it, it just, it's really unpleasant. Even if it on the outside looks like it's a good thing. Like I can know, no, it's not, that's not going to end. Like for me, when you described like feeling queasy, I thought, I'm a terrible project manager. If somebody shows me like, hey, here are the 27 dependencies related to, to the 42 items we're doing, and it's on a flow chart, and it's an Excel, like opening an Excel spreadsheet terrifies me, like almost instantly. I just, I glaze over. So I know like, yeah, I know Word, I open Word, I'm home. Oh, I'm going to type, I'm going to figure out something. Like open a notebook, same thing. I open Excel and I'm like, what am I, I doing with my life? I know. You and I are so similar. I mean, oh. yeah. And so that's it. And it's, you know, acknowledging that. And life's too short, really. I mean, you can fill those slots if you can hire a team and you want to hire a team. But definitely, you know, and we're trained. There's a lot of pressure to kind of like, you know, move past your blocks. And at some point, it's actually not effective. Well, one of the things I love to ask, high performers is how do you 
kind of transition from the moment of stress or excitement or energy. You know, you're on stage, you're in front of 10,000 people, um, you're doing a keynote, I've seen you speak, it's a full-bodied, all-committed experience. How do you transition to, okay, now I'm off stage? Like, I'm always curious about kind of the, from adrenaline to ease or from intensity to calm, what's your transition process like? Yeah, well, I think of it kind of like a scale in terms of size. So I try to be on stage who I am off stage, just a little more. You know, it's, it's like the amplification is bigger, just, but, but it's still very genuine. And so I think of it as sort of just minimizing and getting smaller. That's one way I look at it. But I also, I'm equally an introvert and extrovert. So for me, and I'm just speaking for myself, like I am full on and then I just want to go hide. So I'm not the kind of person that wants to be on camera every day, all the time. Some people do like that, you know. So I, I kind of am big, and I mean that in every way. Like I'm full out, makeup and hair, and I'm full body, as you said. And then I kind of just, yeah, like retreat, <laughs> go back and gather my strength. Yeah, that, that, makes, that makes a ton of sense to me. I think one of the things I'm interested in, we've talked a little about rock the room and how you train leaders, train speakers. What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to a keynote? So, you know, you could say, oh, when I see this, I know that this is actually happening. It's not going to do what they want. Or when somebody brings you a speech and you go, whoa, if you fix these three things, you'll be in a completely different space. Yeah. Well, I could do a whole few hours on this, so I'll pick out yeah, a few. Yeah, I know you could. This is, this is one of my sweet spots, and I, I love talking about this, because ultimately what I really love doing is helping people be themselves. When people come through Rock the Room, uh, they're like, oh my God, I feel so much more me, right? And this is so much more fun, and I feel so much more free. So part of the, the little mission behind all what I do is like helping people really express who they are. So the first mistake I see is the opposite of that. Like I see people get up on stage and they do what I call as the pyramid hands. The pyramid's hands is when all fingertips are touching together. And you're already smiling, I can see, because we're looking at each other. Yeah. The moment I see a client do this on stage or when we're working through a video format, I know they're not being themselves because nobody does that in real life. Yeah. But somewhere along the way, they learn like they're supposed to do that to be a good speaker. Number one, people are inauthentic and it shows up like that. It shows up because I can tell when they've been coached in a bad way because they'll, they'll speak in a rhythm and in a style that's not who they are. They're like standing oddly or they're gesturing oddly. And I, they've been chatting with me normally. And then when they go to present, they kind of look a little weird. And I go, what you doing there? <laughs> and they say, yeah. well, you know, so-and-so told me I have to gesture like this. And I go, well, how does it feel? And they say, it feels weird. And I go, well, yeah, it looks a little weird. So let's not do that. So it's, it's in the physicality. It's in the pyramid hands, the expression, the style of speech. That's one mistake, but the bigger, bigger, bigger mistake, and this is the core of everything I teach, is instead of thinking about delivering information, think about creating an experience. And that's- Huge difference. Everything. So the moment people put together a speech or a, a webinar, they're like, okay, how much information? Instead of going, what's the experience I want my audience to have? And when you start from that question, which is the core of Rock the Room, everything changes. Well, and I can say for me, you know, 12, 13 years of doing this, I've never had a client come back six months later and go, we're still talking about that statistic you shared. 
hundred percent. It's exactly what I say. That data was the thing. You know what? The data (laughs) slide was the one that sent us on home. Like that's (laughs) never, that's never happened in my entire life. Right. And I, you know, for me, I always joke the, one of my secret goals is I want the sound guy to laugh. Like if I've got the sound guy laughing, I've crushed the rest of the room. Like the rest of it's gone because he's heard everything or she's heard everything. And if she's like, oh, wait a second. But that gets back to the authenticity because I don't think, you know, not every listener will be a public speaker, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea of, I'll have people tell me, how do I find my voice, find my voice, find my voice. But I think it's more like, how do you keep it? Because find my voice acts like it's something you find once and then you have it. Yeah. Like I think voice is really slippery. Yeah. And we're constantly trying to like maintain it. Because I know for me as a speaker, there are seasons where I go, I need to be more serious because I'm being too funny. And then all the feedback I get is the opposite. People go, <laughs> we love your humor. That made that was exactly what we wanted. That was what the audience wanted. Right. Um, like, thank you for your humor. People aren't normally funny in business situations. But it's hard for me not to slip into serious speaker mode. So I think even if somebody's not going to become a public speaker listening to this, I think if they're creating something, and it could be cr- being you in a relationship. Like, you have an authentic voice in a relationship or an inauthentic voice that you play how do you keep your voice? Yeah, that's such a great way to um, think of it. And I think it comes from the inside out. I think when we start thinking too much about how we're going to be perceived, we're sort of screwed. I have a series of questions I ask people that gets them to that, that kind of unlocks it. It depends on what's going on with them. But, you know, and I try to think of how do I, how do I give a few right now that's, that's valuable for your audience. But this is going to sound like an odd thing, but some of it starts with the physicality. It's like you see people dressing in ways that aren't them. And when your physicality is screwed up, like, you know, you can't, you can't be who you are. So, so, you know, it's the right shoes. It's just like get into a physically comfortable place. So you can, it's a little bit like a headshot. You know, when, when people have a bad headshot and they're tilting their head and they're tilting their, the, the photographer's like, okay, a little chin down, chin down, head up. <laughs> smile, smile, smile. It's not them. And it's the same thing with speakers. They're they're like outside in. So it begins from the inside out. Like, what do you want to say? What do you think would be cool? Regardless of, you know, how it might be perceived. And, and there's a whole shaping. So I don't want to encourage people to do completely whack nut things. But sure. some of it comes through a question I often ask to, to really get to people's belief system. And uh, this is pretty far into the Rock the Room program. But the question is, what pisses me off? And it's kind of, you know, what is it I really want to say? What is right with the world that needs to be protected? What's wrong with the world that needs to be corrected? You know, oh, what? Come on. That is so good. Yeah. Uh, I love what you just said. I want to pause on that for a second. You said, um, what are the things in the world that need to be protected? And what are the things that you feel like need to be corrected? I think that's such a great framework for not only being on stage, but also writing a book, even starting a business. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that will go, why did I start this? Where there was a thing I wanted to protect and there was a thing I wanted to correct. How do you see people live that out? Well, and to use the example of speaking, which is what we were talking about, like I had a client come in and he was in the vitamin nutrition business and he was pretty quiet as a guy, pretty, you know, toned down and, and uh, no fire. And as a speaker, you need a little fire. And I said, you know, what pisses you off? And he finally got to that. And he's like, it pisses me off that so many of these vitamin companies lie about what they put in their vitamins. And we don't do that. We are pure. We are. And he was in it. And everyone was cheering in our room. All of our Rock the Room students were like, yes, there it is. So that's it. Like, that's how it shows up. Or, you know, I had a veterinarian client, same thing about the way animals were being treated. Or I had a, a corporate group 
who went through this and they're like, we are so, they're a huge, huge name brand tech company. And they said, we are so sick of being seen as like an albatross or as a, a battleship that can't turn around because we're too big and we're not nimble. You know, we have all of this. And they kind of got into what they have that the small nimble companies don't have. And that kind of ire and cheering and call to it arms was just so exciting. Uh, and it put them in touch with what they really believe and what they're willing to defend about who they are and what they want to do. When it becomes this great doorway into a creative part of you, you might not know you have, which I think your book does a thousand different ways where it invites people into a conversation in a really simple visual way that allows them to go, oh, I've been kind of stuck in this one spot, but here's here's another door I can open up. And I think what's interesting I imagine, if I had to guess, this has been one of those books that you're seeing people give to other people, where they read it themselves and they come back and say, okay, I need to give this to my husband, I need to give this to a friend, my neighbor, my entire team. Has that been your experience? A thousand percent. Yeah, we're finding people buying one, two, three, 10, 20, 50 copies because they're saying this is a book for, and it's really for all types of people in a transition, again, a team. You know, I have scientists buying it as their playbook. I have CMOs. I have students, seniors. People are seeing the value of it. And it's written, as you've seen, as a guidebook. First off, you can read the book in less than two hours. Most people read it in an hour to an hour and a half. So it's not a burden. And it's written so you can read it in any order. So people flip in, they flip out, they're keeping it out, they're diving back in to kind of stimulate their thinking. I, I love that. It's certainly been my, my experience with it. And I think the the audiobook I'm sure is amazing. The visual though, I think you you know, you the hardback to me, if you said, Okay, I'm gonna buy one, the hardcover with the visual is the one I would say. The the last question I have, what do you do to creatively refill? Like what are your hobbies when you're not on stage, when you're not helping people structure speeches, when you're not teaching clients, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? I'm a big fan of nature. So we're going to the beach next weekend week in uh, Long Island to a really cool beach house on this empty stretch. So I'm a big fan of, of nature with friends, especially. So I host these retreats that are really fun with pals and we kind of romp around and pretend we're kids again. Uh, so, I love that romp around and pretend we're kids again. That's, yeah, it's that's like a adult great model. camp for adults. <laughs> Lots of silliness. That's, fant- that's fantastic. What else are when you're you've got a moment or you've got a weekend, what are what are the things you're doing in your downtown? Well, I do a lot of recharging. It's not very glamorous. You know, honestly, like I, I, it's not like the weekend comes and I'm like Miss Vacation Woman. A lot of the time on weekends, I'm just putting things back in place, you know, taking care of my health, right? You know, sort of putting things back, tidying up the basics of, you know, cleaning piles, laundry, getting myself organized, you know. Uh, sort of that kind of reset. So I, for me, the weekend is a reset. Uh, of course, I love performing arts like you. My husband and I right now are watching a lot of Dick Van Dyke. It is ah, oh, so I love it. amazingly good. Talk about comedy. He's brilliant. So it's like watching superb performing arts. People at the top of their game. That is for me a recreational. Okay, second last question, because I shouldn't have said that earlier. Like walk me through your ideal day. Sometimes people say, what's your average day like? No day's average. No day's normal. They're not always the same. But I mean, okay, you've got a day that, it, or, or a period of days, whatever, where you're able to do the work you do best. You're able to recharge the way you do best. Like, what does that day look like? 
Well, it's got various components to it in any order. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I get to wake up when I want to wake up. And that's sometimes 6 a.m. That's sometimes 11 a.m., uh, depending on what's happened the day before. Sure. Uh, I somewhere within the first few hours have green juice because it just makes me feel so good. But I'm not that pure. You know, me, caffeine, got to say I love it. Yeah. So, you know. No shame there. I, I am with you. You know, I just, it's just, I've tried to not do it. It's fine, but it's such a nice little thing. Uh, time outside, time exercising. For me, my favorite type of exercise is in an empty studio, like the yoga studio at the gym, which unfortunately is out now, but, you know, dancing around. I just go in there when no one else is in there. I put on music, my headphones, and I dance around for usually an hour, an hour and a half. So that is a good reset. Uh, and then sometime doing something creative, being inspired and inspiring other people. So it, reading something inspirational, watching something inspirational, watching you know, a video or a TV, but then also delivering. Like I had a coaching session for a VIP client this morning, and it's this great feeling of fulfillment, like to see her advance and to feel her light up, like that feels great. So whether it's a keynote or a client or a coaching group, to deliver value to other people and help them, that in my sweet spot, that is you know, that's an ideal day. And of course, time with my family. Certainly. Yeah. I think the job we have is we get to be on the front row seat of life change, which is really fun to watch, whether that's a keynote, whether that's a one-on-one client. I, I love that we both get to do that. So for, for people that want to check out the book, they want to check out maybe Rock the Room. They want to go, hey, I want to know more about the through line. What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. Well, if you have show notes, the best way is through my main website, which is my name. Victoria Labam. However, no one knows how to spell that name. So if you're lost, anyone listening to this, just go to riskforward.com or rocktheroom.com. Rock the Room is all about the presentation, performance, webinars, on-camera work, stage. Risk Forward will also bounce you to my website in some fashion. So either of those. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I know people are going to enjoy this episode. I think we could have done nine hours about public speaking. I, I could nerd out with you all day about that because I think it's the most, I can't believe it's a job that, that we get to do. It's just so fun to me. And I think this will, whether you're a CEO that has to present to a meeting or whether you're somebody who wants to do keynotes, I think you should a hundred percent check out Victoria. I've learned so much from her and been so fun to get to be her friend over these last few years. So Victoria, thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast today. John, you're a treat to be with. I so appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my interview today with Victoria. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you, thank you, thank you for reviewing my podcast. When your podcast is new, like mine, the reviews are super important. So make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a quick review. I'll see you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.